a poem from Rumi. If you put your hands on this oar with me, they will never harm another and they will come to find they hold everything you want. If you put your hands on this oar with me, they would no longer lift anything to your mouth that might wound the sacred earth that is your body. If you put your spirit against this oar with me, the power that made the universe will enter you from a source not outside your limbs, but from a holy realm that lives within. Exuberance is existence, time a husk. When the moment cracks open, ecstasy leaps out and devours space. Love goes mad with the blessings, like my words give. Why lay yourself on the torturer's rack of the past and future? The mind that tries to shape tomorrow beyond its capacities will find no rest. Be kind to yourself, dear, to your innocent follies. Forget any sound or touch you knew that did not help you dance. You will come to see that all evolves you. You will come to see that all evolves you. So we uh, continue the theme of the paramis. <clears throat> and uh, you might think of the paramis as um, attributes of a free mind. And to make them, to, to put them within reach, we give you homework. Uh, but the homework should never be an idealization of the product. That is, uh, we should never ignore the li- our own limits when we take on uh, these paramis. Uh, to do so uh, is, uh, will have disastrous results for you. So in the theme of virtues, in, in which is the talk tonight, the second talk on virtue, to idealize what a virtuous uh, life looks like, or the previous talk, what a generous life looks like, uh, and not consider our own limitations, where our mind pushes back and still wants to rest within its own um, within its own tension, within its own contraction, within its own uh, you know, annoyance with its, its own impatience, within passing up the homeless person and just not feeling like it wants to give, right? Um, and feeling the, that limitation in ourselves and not uh, scolding ourselves for having a limitation. Uh, because if, if we try to push ourselves beyond our limitation without understanding what that limitation is, then the mind is going to um, create uh, all sense of havoc. It's going to have create um, uh, resentment for having to give or having to be good. 
it's going to have cynicism or could develop a cynicism around the very subject itself, like uh, all this goodness, what good is it? Um, it could get despondent. It could get very despondent because we're never living up to the ideal that we have created. Um, it could feel burned out in this Dharma thing. And uh, because we are constantly leading with an expectation that we never meet. And the most primary thing it doesn't do is to take our, our, ourselves into our heart. There's no self-love in idealization. We're out of our heart because we can't possibly hold ourselves uh, within a, a heart that, um, that we can never completely conform to. So... The, the beginning of self-love, I think, is um, really seeing the threshold of what is um, where my limits are on this particular subject. Now, it doesn't mean we stop with those limits, but we, can, we know they're there, and we don't try to pretend that they're not. And as soon as we do, as I mentioned, we get resentful. But when we take into consideration where we're stuck uh, and don't want to give anymore and just feel fed up with that or where we are constantly uh, distorting the truth in some way. And really consider that and look at that and investigate that obstruction, that threshold to see what's happening there, to understand what it is that we're objecting to. Why is it that we're drawing a line and say no more here. Uh, and it's only through that investigation that the wall uh, gets permeated. Gets, um, gets, we can see through it. We can begin to bring an, uh, a different uh, a posture to each of these subjects. Not by demanding something of ourselves. We're trying to get over our lack of generosity. Or shaming ourselves for not being generous enough. This, as we're speaking about each one of these paramis, it's really a process of opening. And each moment, we are either opening or contracting around. And it's not to try to stay open. Like in the Rumi poem, The Bird's Wings, you know, the, the bird opens his wings and closes his wings and that makes a perfect flight but if it stayed open all the time or closed all the time the bird could not fly and so too to have a deep respect for our own needs especially if we're in the helping profession and we have this sense of never being good enough for the job well what is that what, what's driving that what's pushing us back there why do we feel that way about ourselves why don't we take ourselves into consideration? Why don't we turn around and face ourselves and say, yes, me too in this helping profession. Consider me too. And to really look at our limits, to look at our needs. See, that's self-love. That's equal consideration of self and other, which is love. Love doesn't deny either end of that spectrum. Uh, and 
it doesn't mean, you see, we can take that very selfishly and say, you know, and do a whitewash and just say, you know, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a little annoyed. I'm not going to do. I mean, we can go the other direction on that and, be, and, and get more contracted around the subject. But this is a call. This series is a call to investigate the limit, not uh, to try to surmount the limit, but to investigate. Look at it. What is going on here? And what you'll find with any contraction is pain. You'll find some reason, some sense of yourself that is inhibited from a more open stance, which is the parami. So that's not, not to blame that, just to understand that, to look at that. What is this pain? You know, why is it that I um, close down uh, to certain people and are open to others? What's going on there? What is activated in me that creates this contraction? And, you know, for the first few talks, I talked about uh, selflessness. And, but I really like the word openness and contraction better because we... If we haven't um, experienced selflessness uh, fully, we'll think of it as another image for ourselves now without me, an image without me. But all of us have had a, moments in which we've experienced an open heart, a fluidity of being, where generosity is a natural movement within that uh, arising. And all of us, uh, have experienced the opposite of that when we have contracted and feel very selfish and cut off and isolated in ourselves. So let us look at these paramis as movements towards a more open stance and an investigation of what seems to obstruct that open stance. And so a guiding question is for us in this thing is uh, what's in the way of a more open stance in this moment? What am what pain is blocking or obstructing a more fluid a more fluid action within this uh, <clears throat> and when we're talking about virtue in particular of the paramis i'd like to um, make it also very accessible to us not something uh that's uh you know, Mother Teresa-like, but something very accessible to us. Because there's a natural goodness in each one of us that we have no faith in. Unfortunately, especially in Western psychology, uh, we have many theories of inward tension to this natural goodness. Uh, I know when I was uh, studying psychology many years ago, uh, there is always this id, in Freudian terms, that if you ever relaxed and let and and opened yourself up, the fear was, as stated in this particular philosophy, was that the, the animal instinct in you would then come out and uh, would be, uh, you know, sort of on the scene and creating havoc within that scene. And so what we needed to keep that id, <laughs> the wizard of id, <laughs> the id in control was, uh, was a superego, was all the moral restraint 
that we have learned and this strong sense of needing to hold ourselves in check. Now, it just so happens that maybe on the psychological plane, that has some bearing. Maybe there are tendencies in each one of us that if um, we were completely in my wildest dreams, completely ignorant of and completely unconscious to, could take us over in some wild, nightmarish way. But everyone in here has enough consciousness that you don't have to worry about that. We're too sensible. All right? And that's not, I don't mean that in any kind of restrained way. I mean that we are too conscious, we're too aware of what it is that's arising in us that we need to fear this kind of, of creature-like animal that may, you know, come out on the scenes and, and uh, say what he really thinks rather than what is poli- politically correct to think. Now, we have to have some faith that inside us is basic goodness, And that we can relax to that. In fact, relaxation seeks a lower level than the psychological turmoil of the id. We relax through that. That reactivity, which is what the id is. Reactive selfishness. And from if we just don't keep taking a stand within the emotional within an emo- the emotion that's at hand or within the state of mind that hand, is to find that relaxation takes us beyond the need to hold ourselves in check. Because holding ourselves in check is kind of a restrained, um, you know, keeping the reins on ourselves. And that just simply doesn't allow us to be open. And we find that the more open we are, the less we're immediately Manifesting, that is the less sense of me, the less I feel cut off from things, let me put it that way, the less I feel, the more connected I feel, the less isolated I feel. And the, the basic goodness of heart arises. You feel a warming of the heart. Many of us will have had and have had that experience of just a warming of the heart. You know, when you, when you look at something in which you're not running from, like the sunset tonight, which I can see and you can't. And, or uh, uh, something that captures your eye that is beautiful and appreciative. And so we're not moving quickly through it, which is an important ingredient. And we're just opening to it. There is often, if we just stay a little while, and allow ourselves to feel the relationship of what it, that conduit, there's a sense of warming of the heart. Basic goodness, it comes out, doesn't it? It's channeled. It's a channeling. From steadying our posture and our position to life and opening up to life so life can get in. When life gets in, it it's life meeting itself. And when life meets itself, it's warmth. Of course it's going to feel warm-hearted. Because that's almost the definition of what we're doing. We're letting it in. Meeting itself. And when we're contracted, when we're just 
into our own image and our own purpose on life. And we have no time for anything. And therefore, we're not even interested in anything except our needs. So that we're completely cut off within that particular orientation of life. Well, of course, we're going to feel uh, uh, a sense of strong sense of me, a strong sense of contraction and a lot of distance and therefore no warming of the heart whatsoever. And in that perpetual state, if we live in that state, we better keep ourselves super egoically in control because from that state we could leap out and do all kinds of unskillful things. If I felt it was beneficial to me, quote, but we're learning how to relax in life here. We're learning to move to a different level. And we're learning how to appreciate. And that sense of appreciation is the intimation of a, of a settled position in life. And, and then, from there, it's, it just seems obvious what the appropriate thing to do is. Taking oneself in consideration, taking the circumstances in consideration, and the manifestation within that. We may give, we may not give, but it won't be uh, from a cynical, biased, uh, hating all these homeless people, or from a sense of giving ourselves a way in which we have no limits. Every one of us have limits. Of course we do. Of course we do. And so... It's, it just seems obvious, doesn't it? It's to get out of our own way and open here. Let these paramis out. Let ourselves, let ourselves come forth. Welcome ourselves forth. Welcome ourselves forth. You don't know how many times in my practice history I will just, okay, well, I'm welcoming myself out here. Without fear. And that sense of being in alignment with our open honesty is integrity. Which is really what I want to talk about tonight. Integrity. See, integrity and virtue are a little bit... Virtue really comes out of integrity. Integrity is an, uh, is an aligned wholeness of being. It comes from the word integer meaning a whole number. And so integrity, see when we sit, I love, these, if you go back to the sitting, just go back to the basic instruction, you'll see the guidance towards integrity. Because we're not denying anything. If you denied some aspect of yourself, how could you be a whole representation of yourself? So as we sit, we're not denying anything. And so the only way to access complete integrity of spirit is to honor all aspects. Or what I started the meditation with tonight, which was offering safe passage. Safe passage doesn't mean you're a gunboat heading downstream <laughs> with your thought. <laughs> It just means the channels are open. Come and go as you wish. 
come and go as you wish. It's an entire presentation. It is a statement of being. It's an entire... It's, a, it's not an image or something I'm doing. It's what wholeness looks like in manifestation. And the contraction comes from one central basic assumption. This contraction, this sense of... I don't really need to explain to you what contraction looks like, do I? (laughs) No. (laughs) Most of us know what that looks like. The statement, the the orientation of contraction is something's missing in me. Something's missing. So we have to really look at this because if we want to move beyond the contracted state into openness, as I mentioned, we have to investigate what it is that limits that. And this is the basic assumption, the basic assumption behind our contraction. Something, something is missing. And from that point of view, we've fallen from grace. We're a sinner. From that point of view, when there's something missing, then we're out of God's heart. Or however you want to frame it. If you want to, Christian terms, I don't, doesn't. And so we search out of that assumption. Assuming the correctness of that assumption, we search from that assumption. And all we find are more states of mind that keep assuming the same thing. Wherever we look, we find states of mind that certify our need to keep searching for some addition, add-on, for wholeness to be there. So we search out of that assumption, you see, but we never look at the assumption. Is this assumption true? Is there something in need of fixing? Is there something wrong? Maybe the assumption is the only thing wrong. Often, the greatest obscuration of mind is not what we're looking for. But the, the frame of reference from which we're looking. I, there's something in need of fixing here. But it feels that way, doesn't it? It really feels, well, I, you don't understand. You should be inside of my, well, you should be inside of me. I don't look any different than you inside. I, if I were to give over to that, I would be doing the same thing. But at some point, you just you, you sober up to this because that assumption, although it can be appeased from time to time through desire, but if you look at what desire does, the desire is gathering pieces. All it does is gather pieces. It says, well, this piece and then this piece, a new home, a new spouse, a new job, a new car, and for a while, there's appeasement, and then we are, we're back 
with the basic assumption, because it arises again, the turbulence of, of that inbred belief coming from our history, these states of mind hold the assumption of our history. And most of our history has been to assume some sense of incompletion in yourself. And it's so automatic, it's such a knee-jerk response to who we think we are, that we need to add something to who we are to become a better who I am, that we never really look at the moment and fully embrace the moment with that state of mind. See, again, I want to take you, let us go to, let us go to the meditation. The meditation does not have us reacting to any state of mind. It does, it's, why does it do that? Why doesn't it, when you are meditating and you feel like you want a sweet, why don't you allow yourself to get up and go get the sweet? Why, what is the training there? The training is that the state of mind that says you need a sweet is a momentary induction of I need something. It's a statement, an assumption that in order for me to what? You fill in the blank. To get through the sitting, to be a satisfied human being, to be content. This peace needs to be obtained. And the reason the meditation holds you fast to the cushion is to show you that that state of mind does not hold the complete picture of who you are. And if you sit there long enough, it will transform itself, evolve itself out of your, out of your mind and something else will come in. So how true could that have been if five minutes from hence you're no longer thinking that? But when you're thinking that, by God, you're thinking that. And you, re- I, this is, no, you don't understand, Rodney. This is, I really, I, and every one of these needs to be tested in that way. My wife and I are on a sweet fast. So you've got to understand that sweets are. <laughs> so, you know, we were three or four days into it, and I said, I'd really like to have a sweet. <laughs> so, what, so we said, well, why don't we play with it a little bit? So, okay, let's play with it. So, we haven't for three days. Now, let's do. Okay. So, we made some pudding or something and ate some sweet. And that sort of gave me an excuse to follow the state of mind. Right? We, the door was cracked. And I said, well, I'll play with it some more. <laughs> and two days later I saw, found myself going right back into this kind of addicted need to you know at odd periods throughout the day to and you go wait a second here okay let's just stop step back out of this thing again is this state of mind going to be is, am I going to be a servant to this state of mind every time the state of mind comes up forces me to that activity now, what, what, what kind of a life is that? So, back on a sweet fast. And stepping in and out of it is really kind of fun. If you get too brittled within that, you know, and I can't have, oh God, I really want it. 
all of that sort of thing, it gets brittle. It just gets, it, does, it starts working against you. But when you start looking at the state of mind, not the I want, but the state of mind, just as itself, and just say, okay, I'm going to relax with this state of mind. Come, come with me. I'm going to take a stand on it. I'm saying, here I am. Here I am. In the moment, first you have to orient yourself, we have to orient ourselves to the appreciation of the moment. And then the state of mind just doesn't hold the same message, intensity of message, when it's held within the moment, as it is when the moments are all blurred together and we're passing through the moments because we're passing through states of mind that are directing us from this moment into the next and there I procure that and then I'll get that and then and on and on. This pause, which I will talk about in my next talk called Renunciation, the pause of interruption. For appreciation to enter, for the heart to flower, for the heart to flower. The sense of I isn't going to give you that. This contracted sense of me is only going to hold the reality of what it needs in its history and how desperately it needs sweets or whatever it needs. So we have to open beyond that and trust that there's something more to life than just being subservient, really, to every state of mind. I don't know, you know, how we could have lost our way because we have so many states of mind in the course of the day, each one we believe as the totality, absolute truth of ourselves in that moment, only to move and evolve into another state of mind given a few minutes' time. How could we have ever believed it? If it's true, it's true. That's it. Clear out the clear out. Now it's true. That's it. But then it's not true. And then it is. And then it's not. So the key is relating from our wholeness and proving our wholeness true. When we are when we see the partial need, the need to act as a peace to act from this central basic assumption, I'm in need of, I'm going to test my wholeness theory. All right? So, I get oriented, I relax. Just relax with it. Don't be driven by it. Just relax with it now. In the mind, you see, you ha- we have to be very clear of our intentions because if our intentions are not a hundred percent, then whatever percentage they're not, the mind's going to grab that percentage and force you into the activity. So, okay, so this is it. This is, I'm going to, okay, so I'm just going to relax here with this need. And as soon as we're a hundred percent full-hearted in our response to the need, the need can sustain the volatility any longer. It can't sustain the activity because full-heartedness is wholeness. A partial heart, 
I'll give it a chance, but if it gets too bad, I'm going. It'll get too bad, and then I'm gone. And then I'm seeking the candy, or the chocolate, or whatever. Because it will get that bad. Let's just wait a second. Complete relaxation here. Well, you see, we're not asking for you to develop an objection. We're asking us to hold the state of mind, which is very different than to struggle with the state of mind. I can't do this. I shouldn't do this. I'm a terrible person for doing this. No. Don't do anything to it. Just don't invest your identity in it. The identity, when it's not invested in that, it goes to wholeness. It goes to integrity. But we have to test it. We have to do it. You know, this is not a philosophy class. This is not an instruction towards some theory. We have to put this into action. And that's what... I am seeing it more and more that we can have even insights, great dramatic sometimes insights into the nature of our existence, into what a desire is, into the sense of the infinite anything. We have and will have. But unless those are integrated into the body through action. Again and again until the body is not swayed by the mind, but holds steady to the mind. Then it will, we'll just be puppets to this thing, no matter how deep and profound our insights have gone. And teachers can get very used to speaking about them and very lucid with them, but the rubber meets the road in the action. And all of us, including myself, have to constantly be reminded of that. So meditation, and I'm trying to bring an emphasis to meditation tonight so you see why meditation is asking you to be a certain way, to hold a certain stance and posture. Because the meditation is... Abiding in wholeness. And not giving ourselves over to the whims of the states of mind. And so the states of mind will come through. There's sleepiness. All of the hindrances will dance through the spectrum, perhaps in the course of a single sitting. And unless we see that what holds those states of mind are not the state of mind. What sees the state of mind is not the state of mind. What sees sleepiness is not sleepy. What sees, observes desire is not desiring. It's the desire that's desiring. Not the awareness. The awareness is untouched. And as we let things go through without investing in them, then the awareness becomes unstained. Because we're not judging. Stained awareness looks like judgmental awareness. Because there's still struggle within the awareness towards the state of mind. 
but safe passage. It's just that's that's is opening wider than the contraction. Listen to what I, it's opening wider than the contraction. It's not pretending or ignoring the contraction. It's opening wider. Like the space in this room opens much beyond your manifestation within the space, your activity, your movement within the space. So too awareness opens much broader. In fact, it opens infinitely broader. When we see this moment as complete, we will see ourselves complete within it. That's an important... I want to... I have so many, this may go on. (laughs) When we see the moment complete, now let me just ask you, right? Just, just, what does this moment need? What is it right now? What's the moment need? Well, we have a lot of desires perhaps. Maybe our knee hurts. Maybe we have some sense of personal irritation, maybe the temperature of the room. But just relax around all that. What does the moment really need? And when the moment doesn't need anything, you of the moment are whole. But if the moment is seen as incomplete in any way, then we will seek a different moment. Won't we? See, I'm just reversing figure ground at the moment. So you'll seek a different time. A time, well, I'm not coming back here. I mean, it's too crowded. Or unless they turn up the heat next time. But when the moment is seen as being complete, But when we're not complete, then we say, I will be complete when? And that's our narrative. That's our historical narrative. Because we know that temperatures could be hotter than they are. You know, and conditions could be more luxurious than they are. So, our narrative always finds a way to say this moment isn't complete. And therefore, we're not complete within this moment. But it will be when what? When this moment what? Has or contains what? Our job is to end the when and the what. Do that. And you'll know contentment. So then we are left with just is. When the when and the what is released, when we're no longer searching for a better moment, then this is sufficient. And that is the end of suffering. It is also integrity. But we keep bringing a problem to the moment and then trying to fix the problem. But how can you, when we bring a problem to the moment, 
we are creating a problem and the moment. And then we have to work on the problem so that this problem evolves out of this moment and is fixed in another one, isn't it? But the problem is the source of the discontentedness. I have a problem. My feet are cold. They are. But is it a problem? It's only a problem if I stand in objection to it. If I stand in objection to that, then I have a problem that needs another moment in order to fix. If I say, you know, cold feet, which they are, there's no problem when there's no struggle with that particular experience. And the moment is complete even though my feet are cold. Because there isn't an accompanying desire for it to be any different. I was watching a document, a documentary on the Vietnam War, and one, this is some years ago, but it remains vividly in my mind. There was one man, one soldier in the Vietnam War, who was um, uh, badly burned. I don't remember the circumstances, but his face was very disfigured, very disfigured. I remember it showed him on camera. And he was just giving a narrative of how he's worked with this deformity. And uh, for years he had faced the mirror and he saw what he was no longer. Every time he looked in the mirror, he saw what he wasn't. And uh, after many, many operations, many, many, many operations, and still extraordinary disfigurement, one morning... He looks in the mirror and says, I love this or I love nothing. And he no longer was willing to cast himself outside of his integrity. You see, we love this moment or we love nothing. And that is virtue. And that is basic goodness. And that is tolerance. That is openness. That is love and full-heartedness. You see how they all come? They all come. They all come. So I want to talk for a moment about a facet of consciousness that can cue us to this. When we become conscious, when we're willing to be as aware, to grow in awareness, what accompanies that awareness is a quality of knowing what we're doing. Right? And each of us senses in ourselves when we have done something that was slightly out of alignment. Hmm? We know that. We see it. We see it. All of us have that capacity. Unless we're a sociopath that has no 
reference to any awareness whatsoever of what they're doing. All of us have a sense, a knowing. We'll say something that's a little bit unkind. And then there's a, a, tremendous, there's a knowing of that. And then often there's a tremendous defensiveness that comes right after that knowing that tries to rationalize why it is that we said what we said. And we usually listen to that, not to the knowing. And if you listen to that enough, you become Bernie Madoff. Where you just keep giving yourself permission to go further and further and hurt more and more people. You don't think that there is some point in him that he knew what he was doing? He knew very much what he was doing. But greed, the greed factor, the sense of me not being enough, not having enough, not owning enough, far outweighed his willingness to be honest, integritous to that knowing. Herein lies our salvation in virtue and integrity to do what we know. And the honesty requires us not to get lost in the defensiveness, in the rationalization, in the justification, but to hold ourselves to the knowing. I get a lot of cash. IRS doesn't know how much cash I get. I take some of that cash and there's a, somebody out on the walk that needs a dollar for real change. I give them the dollar. Do I count that cash, that dollar, as my cash for the IRS? I mean, I gave it away. It wasn't even mine. I didn't give it. It wasn't me. See, there's a knowing. There's a knowing. That's how subtle it gets. We don't get away with a thing. Not if you listen to the knowing. Not if you're willing to be integritous. Because you know it. Like you know that something just passed between you and me. My hand just waved between us. Awareness holds that knowing. Will we listen? The Buddha said, awareness is the Lord over everything. Do we give ourselves to the Lord over everything? To the knowing as it arises? Some of us, even though we have a knowing may not act in accordance with that knowing. And it may be absolutely justifiable. Here's an example. A friend of mine visited many very well-practiced masters in Buddhism. And he asked each of these masters one question. If your family was starving, would you steal? And most of them said, of course I would. And you know what? So would I. 
I would know it. You see the fleck, you see this? It's not black or white. There's the gray of living. And that gray of living is everything. Yes, we see it. Yes, we know it. We must be awake in order to know. We can't be asleep. We can't be unconscious. Or the knowing never is never seen. It's never felt. But the more we wake up, the more subtle that mo- knowing drives us to an alignment with itself. Because you can't pretend that you don't know and you can't excuse whatever we do to cover that knowing. And so you just... Give yourself over to that knowing. At some time, full-heartedly. And this too. Staying in touch with that knowing becomes everything, really. And so meditation in its deepest form is a statement of integrity of being undivided of being whole and meeting each thing with wholeness rather than giving ourselves away piece by piece or pursuing pieces for self-improvement This is virtue. Not trying to get it right. But knowing where we went wrong. May we all be virtuous. Thank you. Can we sit for just a minute or two? So first, fill yourself with relaxation, not with struggle. Find the space that holds all of you. And then turn all of you loose. So we have a little time for questions or comments from anyone.
<laughs> well, uh, who's Bernie Madoff? He's somebody that stole $50 billion from various people in the news a lot these days on a pyramid scheme. Have I got something to sell you? <laughs> yes. I would know. The question was, um, I would, of course I would know. The question was about my statement that if my family was starving, if I had children, and etc., would I steal? Well, I mean, it would be one of the things I would certainly consider. Uh, first, I would try to beg. <laughs> I would do whatever I could. I would do whatever I could to feed so we wouldn't die, right? And I would know what I was doing all along the way. Uh, and if my back was forced, if I was forced into that particular activity, then I would do that. But I would know I was doing it. Well, because it's not, you see, it's ne- what the point is that it's not idealistic. Life isn't an ideal. That it's all gray. That it's not black and white. I'm always going to, you know, I'll never, as soon as you... As soon as you form a particular entrenched view, then life is going to come at you where you'll see that that view has to be compromised. Because all views do. Now, is that, does that, is that a whitewash for us to start breaking all of the commandments? No, it's not, that's not the point. The point is not that. The point is to take us to the knowing and we can eliminate 99.9% of everything we do because of that knowing in which we try to rationalize and justify the activity that is counter to that knowing because we don't listen to the knowing. Right? So you listen to the knowing and you just start aligning your life to that. But as soon as you make it your goal that you always do what to, you know, then, then there's going to be something that shows you that you can't live like that. Because life isn't only one thing. It's, it can't be um, asserted as a single proposition. Hmm? That's all. Yes. Ken? Yes. Yes. The question is about gratitude and how it dissolves contraction. Again, it's it, it, it would depend on how how you go about gratitude, um, because we can make anything uh, into a, a statement of contraction itself. So let me just talk a little bit about. It. So first of all, um, appreciation is another form of gratitude, right? Appreciation when we st- when we just start. Uh, in order to appreciate, you have to be open to what is being offered, right? So there has to be some acknowledgement, some steadiness, some, we're not running to the next thing. So that is a, an embrace, an openness, right? A conscious moment in which 
Life is getting in and stirring the heart in some way, in beauty and gratitude and appreciation. And that is an automatic. Now, we can try to be gracious. We can say every morning, I'm going to be gracious, you know, and then you're not going to live up to that. And when you do that, you're going to feel ingracious, ingracious, ungracious, ungracious to you sometimes because you're not being gracious enough. As soon as you get on a linear movement, on a continuum, in which you think you have to keep becoming more, having more gratitude, rather than just open yourself up to the natural gratitude inherent in being present, presence, then that's... But what I find people doing is taking a particular state of mind and worshipping it as the salvation. And gratitude can be that. Joy is another one. In which you start working everything so that you can start looking at life from a perspective that you can feel joy. But joy isn't a perspective. It's the releasing of perspective. It's an openness, not a contraction. A perspective is a contraction, isn't it? A subtle contraction. So, the way to a natural gratitude, right? So, okay, let me just relax here. And you can, one can feel gracious for the simplest things. Being alive. Right? Being, I don't know, just the moment itself holds its own gratitude. Is it, right? So we have to be careful, again, how we steer any of these solutions. Does that make sense? Because they can turn against you very easily. And anything will if you make it into some pursuit that has to be continuous and, and infinite. Because I'm not good. There are times when you're not feeling that way. Alright, so then if you're just working with states of mind, then what, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to have to judge the state of mind that isn't gracious. But if we just relax with an ingracious state of mind and hold the moment as complete, even though there is in, even though there's not gratitude, then we can feel gratitude. We can feel the stirrings of gratitude that are not dependent upon the state of mind of gratitude. I know that one might have thrown you. Other questions or comments? So you have to prove this to yourself. You see? Don't come thinking you've got it. Maybe you did get it. Now you've got to integrate it. This is not a passive sermonizing. This is integrating the laws of life into our life through body, speech, and mind. I cannot emphasize that enough. And it takes work. That's where the rubber really meets the road. Because we pull back. We don't want to have to change. We want to know it, but we don't want to have to actually change in accordance to the knowing. 
We like the knowing good enough. Have an intellectual and be able to go out and tell our friends. But that doesn't involve any kind of change on our part. The change is where the real threat is. That's where we're threatened. Because it means behaving differently. And things change in your life when you do. So, how are you working with these subjects? You see? And once you decide to work with it, are you working with it in the wise direction, in a wise way? Or are they creating more tension in you? This method has a key. It should create less tension, not more. If there's more struggle, we're working with it in a in a a dharmic way <laughs> you're going we're going against the grain so this thing, we should be lightening up we should and happier because that's what happens when we lighten up is that we get more buoyant joyful not by pursuing joy <coughs> You see, it's counter. You see, we think we're going in the right direction, and we find that we're in a dead end. A dead end. Yes. You don't need to pursue the knowing. It's in front of your eyes. Yeah. Right. 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 And I think then for me, contraction. Yes. Yes. Um, so what you're saying is to let that wrap and let that be. Yes. But not to play it out. Letting it be is not playing it out. Right? So. There's a knowing, and then there's a contraction around the knowing, the rationalization. And if you stay with the rationalization and believe that you can just shut the knowing up, because the rationalization is so true, right? In any way, who's going to see? Who's going to notice, right? I mean, there's a thousand, isn't it amazing how clever the mind is? It's just one fraction less than the knowing. But it's a very, remo- very slim fraction. Right? Because it almost covers it. Right? And sometimes you can convince yourself and just ditch the other. But it's still, it's still, you just can't, the more conscious you become, the more that thing floats back up. Doesn't it? And you can't get out of anything. You know what you're doing, don't you? You know what you're doing. Now, as I mentioned, you may not always act in accordance with that because even though you know it, you, your life is, right? So, even that requires, but the knowing is still trusted. It's, you're still honest to the knowing, and your actions may defy the knowing, but you're still honest to the knowing. You're not pretending the knowing didn't happen. You see, uh, and we do have that knowing, don't we? I mean, it's there. You know, I did it. Damn it! I said it. I said it. I didn't want to say it. I apologize for saying it. I was a, you know, all that, but that's it. Okay, all. Thank you. And I'm finished saying it. <laughs>